Art Henry is one of the most interesting middle school music teachers you'll ever meet. His diverse professional and educational background has seen him take his musical talents to Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, New York, and New Jersey before ending up in Delaware at Millsboro Middle School. He can now add a new honor to his already impressive resume, Indian River School District Teacher of the Year. On April 30th, Art was chosen as the district's overall winner for 2019-2020 from a pool of 16 candidates, one from each district school. I'm Dave Mall, and in a moment I'll play my recent conversation with Art, during which he discusses his career and his interesting journey to becoming a teacher. This is the IRSD Spotlight. sound of Art Henry's classroom as he conducts rehearsals for the Millsboro Middle School Concert Band. Uh, Art is responsible for instrumental music instruction uh, for grades 6 through 8, and I am pleased to be joined by him right now. Art, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm very glad to be here. <laughs> First of all, how surprised were you at being named IRSD Teacher of the Year? I cannot tell you how surprised I was. Um, I was absolutely blown away, shocked. Because I, in my mind, I was like, the band teacher, we don't get picked, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And I was actually in the middle of a conversation when they called my name. Because I was like, I don't think it's going to be me. I was actually saying that. And <laughs> then they called. No shot That's there. right. And then I heard uh, the first part of the school's name, you know, Mills. And then somebody started screaming down the road that was with me. And I'm like, what in the world is wrong with that person? And then they all looked at me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, can, you, can you, like, describe that feeling of hearing your name called? And then you had to go up on the stage and, and get your awards and all that? Utter shock. Utter shock. And in my head, I was like, oh, my oh my goodness. How did that happen? How did that happen? You know, what did they, oh, my, this yeah. happened? You know, so many things at once. Um, it, was, it was something that was so far out of my spectrum of reality yeah. that would, you know, that would happen. So yeah. when it happened, I just, I, I'm, you know, it took me a little bit to process, yeah. obviously. I was standing on the stage, they <laughs> had me flowers, and I'm holding these flowers for dear life, saying, oh my goodness, what is going on? What is going on? I have but, to say, you did look a little <laughs> shell-shocked at first when oh, you went up there. Yeah. I really was, because yeah. I... Um, I did my best on my portfolio that we had to turn in and everything like that. I said, if I'm going to give the, be given the opportunity, I'm going to try and do my absolute best and not, you know, look at it and say, ah, they'll never pick me. But it was one of those things that I said, well, I'm going to go for it, but I very much doubt mm -hmm. that it's yeah. going to happen. Well, you sort of just touched on it just a, a, a second ago. Uh, being a music teacher, do you take special pride in it? Because not many music teachers have won this award. Yes, I do. Um, something, they saw something in what I either did with my kids or something that I explained in my, you know, the portfolio I had to turn in that made them say, this is, this is something different, this is something special. Mm -hmm. And yes, I take pride in that mm -hmm. because it's something, uh, the program that I've developed is something that I've really... I've purposely done, you know what mm -hmm. I mean, to try and serve as many kids as I can, yeah. and a varied, um, 
very type of student, you know what I mean? Not just the best students, but also um, the students that you wouldn't necessarily consider band kids. Mm -hmm. And they are band kids, you know. And that's what, I, I do take pride in that, mm -hmm. yes. And your your portfolio is very impressive, and we're going to get into some of the things that mm -hmm. were in there. Um, mm -hmm. But first, I know uh, you came to Indian River School District in 2015, but this is actually the first year you've taught exclusively uh, at the middle school level. Previously, right. you split time between elementary and middle school. That's right. Uh, how big of a change has that been for you this year? Huge. Um, you wouldn't think it's very big because I was at Millsboro Middle three days a week before. Mm -hmm. But what you're able to do in five days of consistent pr uh, planning and five days of consistent time with these kids is pretty spectacular compared to maybe twice a week. I had five a rotation of five different groups. So I would see um, every other week I would see them three times a week. And then the other on the other end of the week I would see them twice a week. So I w there was not a whole lot of consistency time-wise. Was it hard to develop, a, I guess, a routine or a flow to your instruction under that? Um, different, not hard, mm -hmm. yeah. not hard. Um, it was... The things that I always wanted to spend time on, I never had time for. Yeah. And now it's like, I can do that. I can do that. I can work on scales. I can work on this. I can work mm -hmm. on that. I can work on uh, things in a much more in-depth way than just, you know, cramming for the concert. Because that's what it was, you know, before, for the last three years, it was, I have to get these kids ready for a concert. I have to start right away in January. It has to happen for this spring concert. You know, that kind of thing. I want to, um, I want to get your reaction to a couple of quotes from your colleagues who endorsed you for mm -hmm. Teacher of the Year. I want to read these to you. Mr. Henry is shown to be a dependable and conscientious staff member who has integrated himself into the culture at Millsboro Middle. He commands respect from his students and colleagues. Mr. Henry will always bring solutions to any problems that he may encounter during the course of the school year. It is self-evident that his students are drawn to him, always anxious for his feedback with the ability to improve upon their skills. He brings a sense of stability to such a large group of students the skill set and demeanor by which he does this are why he is so successful, and he only measures his success through his students' experiences and production. What's it like to hear people say things like that about you? Amazing. When I saw those those recommendation letters, you know, when they because they, they they send them to me so that I can include them in that portfolio, I was blown away, blown away, in almost in tears at one of them because I just said. I'd never, th I didn't know that they thought that way. You know, they felt that way. And um, it's, I'm not, I don't take accolades well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm more like uh, uh, behind the scenes, if you will. Yeah. And uh, for me, it was just, it's very humbling. It, it I can't, I, it's very hard to explain, but um, it was pretty amazing. And and it's funny because my, my mother, who's also a teacher, has said to me uh, in the past, it is your... The, the accolades that matter are the people that you work with, that see you every day. So if that's what the people you work with feel about you, you know you're doing something right. And you've been successful. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the interesting things in that last quote was he only measures his success through his students' experiences and production. I, think, I, th I find that very interesting because... I guess rather than taking accolades for yourself, you if you know if a student does a good job, that's reward enough for you. Am I correct? Absolutely. Yeah. To know that 
like I said before, I take a different type of student. Um, when I was teaching in the fifth grade level, I took uh, students from a varied, uh, varied backgrounds. I took special ed students. I took students from the ILC classrooms, which can be pretty intense um, it, with their with with individual needs, and to see them successful, to see them able to play. There might be accommodations in their playing. They may not be playing exactly what's on a written page, but we have fixed that so they can play with the group. But to see them successful, that's for me when I know, okay, I did something right. Something's going right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to see them happy. They're not they're not upset to come to band. You know, they're not like, oh, we have to play again. They're, you know, when they say, oh, we come to band to play. We're ready to go. You know, that's that's when I know there's an instilled culture there, too. You know what I mean? They're, they're I wanted successful. To, yeah, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because you touch on that pretty extensively in your in your portfolio, and that is your pride in accepting um, special needs students into the band and not just those who are already excelling at music. Mm -hmm. um, is, can you talk, I guess, a little bit more about that philosophy, how you came about it, or... To be honest with you, the first year I was in the district, um, at one of the elementary schools, the principal said to me, take as many kids in your program as you can. Mm -hmm. And at first I thought, what in the world is he doing to me? You know, what is <laughs> yeah. he saying? Yeah. And what he, I know what, what the intent was. The intent was build the program, because if you can build this, They'll give you more time at the middle school, and it will. They'll they'll hopefully hire someone on at the elementary schools to build the program even more, so that we can actually be, provide a real good feeder for Sussex Central High School. So that's how it started. But what I found was by walking around the building and seeing all the different classrooms with all the fifth graders was that the kids that needed band the most were the kids that were not necessarily finding the same type of success in other subjects. They weren't. You know, so the ILC kids were so happy to see me. I would walk in, and, and I my introduction, um, the way that I would sort of give my quote-unquote pitch to the kids, I would play my instrument for them. I played um, uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow on my instrument, on my horn for them. And the, to see their faces in awe, like, oh my goodness, I want to be able to do that, that kind of thing. And I knew how excited they were. How could I not have them? That was So that was the initial part. So was it something for them that just clicked once they saw you play something just clicked and they they really they got wanted into to it. do it yes yeah. and it yeah. was something they never had ne necessarily been exposed to mm -hmm. previously so a couple of the students in that i can think of some of them have fine motor skill issues mm -hmm. some of them have um uh e even hearing issues some of the autistic students have to wear um headphones because it, the, the noise level can be so loud but when they're in band they're not affected by it yeah. and band is the loudest room in the building you know you yeah. walk into my room you're like oh my goodness what in the world is going on you know but they're it's almost as if i don't know that environment is okay for them and it's it's all right and they love it they love coming in they love being a part of it and there's a varied success is measured by uh, there are different measures for each type of student if you will so the the type of student who um, is successful all of them are successful in their own way number one but the type of student who's successful are the kids that actually want to be there who put the time into the instrument and the ones that that regardless of how like I said fine motor skill issues um, some of them have rhythmic challenges and things like that 
does not matter. They somehow seem to be able to work it out in the band room. And what I have found is that the higher level students are able to help those kids. And it's something that I haven't had to manufacture or make happen. They just do it. Those higher, those the the kids that are on the higher level achievement with their instruments are uh, when I'm working with a different section. They're talking to these kids and they're working with them and they're saying, "This is how you do this. This is mm-hmm. the fingering for that. This is the rhythm for that." And it's mm-hmm. pretty. It's just like this is just happening. So it's really had a profound effect on the on the special needs children. Yes, and on the others as yeah. well because yeah. they're finding they're they're help helping in a different way than I think they would in other rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, some classes, you know, you can have classes broke down into honors classes. You can have classes broke down um, depending on their on their sort of academic level in the other in the a- other academics. They wouldn't necessarily be in the same room with uh, if they're a high like a, an honor student wouldn't be in the same room with someone with intense special needs. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the band classroom, they can be together. So, do you think it gives the gives those students more? Uh, it's, it's since it's more of an inclusive environment. Does it make them feel a little bit more as part of a group that we're all doing the same thing? And Absolutely, that, that, yeah. and it gives it gives both types of students a home. They they belong there. It is a safe environment. Because they see, if you make a mistake, it's okay. I don't holler at them. And I tell them, do I ever get upset with you for making a mistake? And then I'll say, if you're going to make a mistake, make a big one. Just do it. Because if you're going to, hey, you know, if it's going to be a wrong note, let it be a real big one. You know, and it's okay. And we all laugh at each other with each other, not at each other. But we laugh with each other. And it's it's one of those environments where it's okay to make mistakes. You don't learn unless you do. Yeah. Um, I want to get into your background a little bit, because it's actually very interesting. Um, you've stated that music has been an important part of your life from a very early age, mm-hmm. and that it all started with a trip to Sunday school. That's right. Tell us that story. Um, well, one of my neighbors down the street where I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, um, he came to, I was four years old, and I was outside playing in my yard, and he drove by, and he said, do you want to come with me to, I don't even know what he said at the time, I, I ran inside and I said, can I go with Mr. Baker? And um, Mr. Baker, his Mr. Baker's son had taught my father how to swim, yeah. like 25 years prior to that, and um, so... Wherever I was going to go with Mr. Baker was absolutely fine with them. Go ahead with Mr. Baker. And then they went outside and said, well, what time will he be back and all of that. But that was the beginnings of me attending Sunday school at the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army is a church. Not a lot of people know that. They think it's a place for social services or where you go to buy your clothes or something yeah. like that. Um, but it was it is a church. And in that tradition, in that church, music is very much a part of what they do. Um, it is the, the, the Salvation Army was founded in Britain and their background musically is British brass bands. So when you go in, the brass band is like the organ of the church. So when I went to Sunday school, there was a ch- children's band you know, that played, that was the, the accompaniment for little Sunday school songs that you'd, you'd sing, and they played little things, and all these kids were participating, and then there was a children's choir that sang, and I was just like blown away, it was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that, I was four years old, so yeah. what did I really see, but you know, but it, for me, it started there, and shortly after, it wasn't maybe a year or two after I started, you know, going with him on a regular basis, they put a cornet in my hand and they said, you're going to start learning this. So I took weekly lessons at, at 
um, band school, they called it, every week. On Tuesday nights, we did band school. And then um, Mr. Baker, I would go to his house, and he played baritone. And I would he would play the baritone while I played the cornet, and he taught me, you know, fingerings and, and note duration and how to read music and all this other stuff. And that was the beginnings. It was, it was from, really, from like four or five years old that it really started. So by the time you got into elementary school, you were in part of the elementary school band. And that's that right. Thing. Now, I have I can't resist asking you about mm-hmm. this art. I just have to because you mm-hmm. put it in your por- portfolio, and mm-hmm. I just found it really funny. <laughs> um, you write, and I quote, mm-hmm. I was not an easy child to deal with. I would always cause trouble with other students by verbalizing whatever I thought or felt about a situation and would very rarely think before spouting off to someone. What was up with that? I had no filter. <laughs> Absolutely no filter. Even with talking, and some people would say that about certain things at this point in my life too, but uh, in a different way, I suppose. But um, I had no filter. I would Something would happen, and I would tell somebody how I felt about it. And it didn't matter if it was a kid or if it was a teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt some kind of way, and then it would just come out of my mouth, and they would, you know, someone once said to me that they could take me in very small doses, yeah. 10 minutes at a time, 15 <laughs> minutes at a time, because then they'd feel like they needed to wring my neck if it was yeah. anything more than that. Yeah. So, yeah, that was... Whew, yes, that's how I was as a student, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> now, it, it's funny, though, because you credit uh, someone named Miss Mercer mm-hmm. uh, for helping it, for helping you during that oh, period yeah. in your life. Tell us a little bit about her. Miss um, Mercer was uh, what they called an itinerant music teacher. She traveled around, just like I did later in life, <laughs> you know, traveled around um, to different schools, and she taught instrumental music. And in third grade, that's when they started people in band at the you know elementary schools in Cleveland and rather than picking a brass instrument which I already knew how to play because of course I was a master at it yeah. at third grade you know <laughs> I said oh I, I already know how to play that you already knew everything so, oh absolutely yeah. so I'm going to play the clarinet because yeah. you know I'm going to learn something new yeah. so um, she came around she was there once a week and I took clarinet lessons with her and she was honest to God the most patient person I have ever ever had the in my life like put an instrument in a kid's hand who already has issues controlling themselves mm. and not only are you you know using it as a sword but you're using it you know you're blowing into it whenever the, they're trying to talk and yeah. and whatever and somebody's playing something wrong that's wrong blah blah blah, blah. you know <laughs> imagine imagine how that classroom had to be yeah. but she would always find a way to either calm me down or to you know to have me listen and to to understand the importance of listening to others yeah. before speaking sometimes that kind of thing yeah. but she she spent you know she she gave of herself in a way that I won't that that I'll never forget mm-hmm. ever and um I remember in addition to the lessons that we had she would take small groups and do um like small groups meaning two kids and we would do things you know we would all three play together so I could hear how she played the instrument and you know sort of model sound after her duration how she was blowing into it that kind of thing and it was weekly that this was happening very consistently so yeah that Miss Mercer was very influential on my young life and even now you know thinking back on how it shaped my musical life now you, despite you know your love for music, you initially went to college at Temple University in mm-hmm. Philadelphia uh, to study psychology and sociology. But mm-hmm. um, after a couple of years, you made the switch to music education at another school. Mm-hmm. Was was music something you just couldn't get out of your system? Was it something you just kept coming back to? It was. Um, I 
I went into psychology and sociology because I thought at one point, oh, maybe I'll become a counselor. And the more I got into it, the more I realized I don't think me being in the room with one person is going to be fulfilling, you know, <laughs> or doing counseling one-on-one, -on -one, that kind of thing. And um, I had the opportunity during that sort of time period to work at an elementary school and help them with their musical. They did, you know, junior musicals. Like, they did Seussical Junior. They did Fiddler on the Roof Junior. And there was another one, Beauty and the Beast Junior or something. And in that time, I became sort of the music director of those shows. And that was sort of the catalyst that said, what in the world are you doing? You know, are does, what you're doing now is something, is this going to fulfill you? Uh, and no, the answer was no, it's not. And so I, I stopped after, you know, before completing... Uh, that program and I said I need to do something different and I made a u-turn and then I went into music education and you ended up at a, a college that maybe a lot of people don't know about Chestnut Hill College which That's is right. also in Philadelphia That's Tell right. us about that that is a very small Catholic school um, that is in the northwest section of Philadelphia it's in the city limits of, of Philadelphia but a lot of people may not have heard of it because it's it's very small. Now I couldn't tell you the numbers um, offhand, but it's a tiny school, and it is mostly a liberal arts school. And they had a music, you know, music education department that had certification to be able, you know, when you're done with the program, you became a state certified teacher. Mm -hmm. And there were not a lot of schools in Philadelphia that did that. There were maybe three or four schools: mm -hmm. Temple. Um, Chestnut Hill, University of the Arts, and you know, then you'd be going outside of the city, you'd be going to Westchester or something like that. There weren't a lot of places that offered that. I lived five minutes from Chestnut Hill College, and they just happened to have that. And the year before I went there is when it had been traditionally an all-girls school. It became co-ed the year before I enrolled. Mm -hmm. So it was like, oh my gosh, all these doors opened up. Yeah. Here's the opportunity. Not only can you get state certification from there, but now they're co-ed, and it's five minutes from you. And was it like the universe that, opening itself up? That's to you? right. Yeah. How? How? What other sign do you need? Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> like all these things just lined up. Yeah. I want to get into your involvement with the Salvation Army because mm -hmm. you have maintained your involvement with the Salvation Army ever since, like you said, the mm -hmm. from a very early age, and you attended. It's the Salvation Army School for Officer Training. That's right. Tell us about that, because that's really an interesting experience. That is a seminary program. You, An officer in the Salvation Army is the minister of the church, and you have to go to their training program in order to be taught how to run a program. It's a un very unique type of situation where the minister is running a business. Because the Salvation Army, you're, you're collecting donations, you're doing, you could be running a store, you could be uh, dealing with a lot of social services stuff, you have to know how to handle these things. So there's a, a two-year training program, in addition to being taught how to preach, <laughs> you know, and how to, how to do, do, you know, basically thrown into the fire counseling, that kind of thing, you know, oh my word, how do we handle this? Um, so that's what that program is. And when you are a student at that school, you have a rank you're a cadet and you're a cadet for two years and then when you were commissioned the year that I was commissioned we were commissioned as captains that was a unique thing they had changed the ranking system they had done an experiment usually you're commissioned as a lieutenant but I was a, 
my my session, my class was was a captain. We were captains, and um, so that was a sort of a unique experience to be able to go to that and to to go through that training process through the Salvation Army. And you basically came out of there as an ordained minister. Is that that's, correct? That's right. And it all traces back to the day you went to the Salvation Army with Church Mr. in Baker. Cleveland when with you were Mr. four years old. That's right. With yeah. Mr. Baker, and it just sort of happened that way, and it just sort of. Uh, progress that way. Yeah. So, one of your, I guess, side gigs, I'll call it, because mm-hmm. I found this very interesting too, is mm-hmm. you are the director of music for the Valley Forge Presbyterian Church. That's right. In Pennsylvania, and you've done this for almost five years now, I guess. What kind of commitment does that require? That is every Sunday morning, getting up at the crack of dawn, <laughs> or before that, actually, and uh, and driving up there. I do choir rehearsal on Sunday morning before church. And then we have our church service. And then when we're in cantata season, which is the Christmas cantata or the Easter cantata, I, I stay after and do another choir rehearsal with them. So the commitment is every Sunday is like another day of work. You know what I mean? I'm getting up and leaving earlier than I would for the normal, you know, here at the, my job at the middle school. And then I get home usually, depending on the day, between... One, anywhere between 1 o'clock and 3.30. Mm-hmm. So it's a full day of driving up there and then driving back. Yeah. So, um, But I guess you really have to love it in order to I make do. that kind of commitment. I do. I love the people there. Um, I love the church itself. Um, I had that job when I was in Philadelphia, when I lived there and I taught in Philadelphia. And when I moved down here in 2015, I decided to keep it. Um, there are a couple of reasons why uh, I kept it. Not only because I love the church and that kind of thing, but because I have family in Philadelphia and it places me up there. So getting together for family functions is easy because I'm there and then there's no, well, you don't have to make the drive to come up. No, I'm already here. Yeah. It's all right. Let's do something. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, in, your, in your biography, in your portfolio, you state that, you know, from a, from a, a young age, you wanted to work with people and help others. For you, is this something that's just, I guess, innate? It must be. <laughs> From a very young age. I remember, uh, and I think I put this in the portfolio as well, I used to go shopping on Saturdays with my mother and my grandmother. And I was little. I must have been three or you know, three or four years old. And I would see stock boys, it, like stocking the shelves you know, in, in, in the grocery store. And I would go up and I'd put the cans on the shelf with them, that kind of thing. And one guy in particular, he, I guess he had peanuts. He always had peanuts but he would give me peanuts for helping him so he would you know pay me in these in these peanuts and that kind of thing but it was for me it was more like oh I'm helping you do your do this you know you have a job to do I'm going to help you and that's been something even now if somebody needs my help with something I'm I'm there and I think I think that's one of the things that my colleagues my co-workers when they were writing those um those those uh, recommendation letters. If somebody is is in need of something, and if I can help, I will. If if it's covering a class, if it is helping with students who are having difficulties in something, even if it's outside of the spectrum of band, doesn't it doesn't matter. If if there's a need, I'll try and help. One of your community service activities is providing piano accompaniment for uh, music performances, not only at Millsboro Middle but at other schools, both in our district and in mm-hmm. other school districts mm-hmm. uh, in the area. Do you feel this is just kind of part of your duty as a musician and a community member? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I know that it is difficult. Number one, schools don't have a lot of money to pay people, so most of the time 
I don't charge for that. If, if I'm going to help somebody, I'm going to help somebody. And number two, it's hard to come by people who will be there for you. They'll say they'll show up. <laughs> will they really come? Oh, I have this other gig. I'm sorry, I can't make it. That kind of thing. And as an educator, I try and help fellow educators with that too. I have played at um, uh, Southern Delaware School of the Arts for their concerts in the past. I've uh, Last week I did uh, the choir concert at Indian River High School. I do things in the Woodbridge District if, if they need help. So really, for me, it's it's a way to give back. It's a way to be a part of, and it's a way to be to maintain relationships within the music community as well. Mm-hmm. I meet a lot of other music teachers, and we have good fellowship. We can talk to each other about different things that's going on. And if I have a question or a need or something that I don't quite understand how to get a hold of, if I need an instrument or something, they can help, or they'll let me borrow. Or you, it's it's really helpful to maintain those type yeah. of relationships. What aspect of teaching do you enjoy the most? Being with the kids. Yeah. Being with the kids. Yeah. That's absolutely. The, absolutely. I don't, I, I don't care in what setting it is. Um, I have a unique relationship with my kids. Um, there's a lot of banter in my room. I like spending time with my kids. We just went uh, last Friday, we went to Bush Gardens. And to be able to be on the bus with these kids and have conversations with them and see them in a different way, uh, see them in the middle of the amusement park, you know, stand in line with them for a roller coaster or something like that, yeah. just chatting with them. It's to me, that's what's special about what I get to do. How many different instruments do you play? Many. <laughs> <laughs> I play um, all brass, all woodwinds, uh, the piano, the organ. Um, and some strings. Now, my fa- my fingers are a little... I was told I would never play the piano because I have short and stubby fingers. <laughs> so when I play the guitar or the violin, they kind of, you know, touch the other strings. But like viola, uh, cello, double bass, that mm-hmm. kind of thing I can play. One of I, I, I've always had... It's just come natural to me if I try an instrument, if I try and play it. And once you learn the basics of a, an instrument group, like brass instruments, anything with valves, you can usually trans. You know, you can if you play a trumpet, you could play a tuba if you had to. Mm-hmm. You could figure it out. Um, trombone, you just have to know the positions. Yeah. Um, woodwind instruments. If once you learn the basics of the fingerings, I don't care if it's a, a clarinet or a flute or a saxophone, you can play the instrument. Whether or not you sound good on it, that's a different story. But you can you can play them. And I find it, it it's for me in my line of work, it's very helpful to be able to know how to play the instrument because when I'm when I'm teaching kids, if they're having trouble with fingerings, I'll show them fingers, even if it's sort of air fingering or whatever it is, um, to be able to play it. And it's helpful to them to see to see me pushing down whatever it is that has to be, you know, played. So it's very difficult to be able to teach an instrument if you don't even know how to play it yourself. Yeah, that's got to make you. That's got to make you a better teacher. Knowing that I would hope so. Yeah, yeah. I would. Yeah. <laughs> well, we should note uh, that as the district's overall winner, Art is now eligible for the State Teacher of the Year award, and that'll be announced in October. So, mm-hmm. Art, I'm sorry to say we're out of time, yeah. uh, but I really, I really want to thank you for joining me today, and good luck in the state. Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> Before we sign off, I'd like to recognize the Teacher of the Year winners from each of our schools. They were Catherine Bennett, Philip C. Shaw Elementary School, Ashley Broughton, Georgetown Kindergarten Center, Wendy Bull, Georgetown Middle School, Jeffrey Bunning, Indian River High School, Megan Conway, Lord Baltimore Elementary School, Catherine Dory, G.W. Carver Center, Stephanie Fair, Southern Delaware School of the Arts, 
Alexandra Fish, John M. Clayton Elementary School, Brian Gloyd, Long Neck Elementary School, Christopher Guerin, Howard T. Ennis School, Heather Helens, North Georgetown Elementary School, Elizabeth Ilion, Georgetown Elementary School, Jennifer Jerns, Selbyville Middle School, Tracy Marvel, East Millsboro Elementary School, and Robert Weber, Sussex Central High School. Congratulations to all of these gifted teachers. Photos from the district's Teacher of the Year celebration are available on the Indian River School District website and Facebook page. Next time on the IRSD Spotlight. This is Jeopardy! Now entering the studio are today's contestants, a psychology graduate student from Santa Monica, California, David Warwick. We delve into the secret life of Sussex Central High School teacher David Warwick. That's coming later this month. You won't want to miss it. And now, here is the host of Jeopardy! Alex Trebek! IRSD Spotlight is produced by the Indian River School District. Episodes can be accessed through iTunes or by visiting irsd.net and going to the podcast link under the Discover IRSD tab. It is also available through several mobile podcast apps. Thank you for listening and we'll be back soon with more great news and information from the Indian River School District. Until then, remember that Indian River truly is a model of excellence. <laughs>